Today we will look at Moses and the law explained out of Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 43. Moses the lawgiver and the law God gave him to give to us and specifically the rejection of the fathers of the law immediately. That they did not receive the law uh, with an excitement, but they ended up rejecting it. Now, this is not random. It's not like all of a sudden in the book of Acts, chapter 7, they wanted to throw in this larger section about Moses and the rejection of the children of Israel with the law. This is Stephen, part of the early church, that has been highly effective. We are a matter of months, no longer than a year, from the time of Jesus being crucified and resurrected, there are already thousands of people saved in Jerusalem. It's spreading to the towns that are around them. They are having interaction with the synagogues in the area. And Stephen had an interaction with the synagogue of the freedmen, and they could not resist what he was saying. He was proving to them the synagogue would trust and believe the Old Testament. And he was proving to them by the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The same thing Paul did when it said that Paul would go into a city. The first thing he would do would go to the Jews, prove to them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah because they had all of these messianic passages that Jesus fulfilled. And they could not resist Stephen in what he said, so they slandered him. They brought in people to lie about him and they accused him of blasphemy. God, Moses, the law, and the temple. Those were the four accounts that were brought to him. This is his arrest and his charges. This is Acts 6, 11 through 13. Then they secretly induced men saying, we have heard him say blasphemous words against Moses, against God, and they stirred up people, the elders, the scribes, and they came and seized him and brought him to the council. This is the Sanhedrin that has the high priest at it. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, that's the temple and the law. So the accusation is blasphemy against God, Moses, the temple and the law. And so this whole chapter is his defense, but he doesn't just use it as his defense. We saw last week that he used Abraham and God's promises to Abraham and how God did things despite the negatives in Abraham's life. But he, and he showed that he is orthodox in his view of God and there was no blasphemy. He's going to do the same today. He's gonna to talk about Moses. He's not gonna say anything negative about Moses and he's gonna say positive things about him and show them he's not blaspheming him at all. But like last week, you remember, there was a prophecy that God gave Abraham about the Messiah. Through one of your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So the Messiah has to come through Abraham and all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's true today. Uh, here recently, I've discovered that there is a huge church movement in Iran of all, of all places that the mosques are losing people there and, and many of them are becoming Christians and they are vulnerable when they do. They're vulnerable to be killed. They're vulnerable to be raped and to be attacked but yet they are, and many of them are women who are giving their lives to Christ. The gospel is being spread around the world. So in the middle of this with Moses, 
we see a promise of the Messiah that he stops and spends some time on. So we are probably getting how he interacted with them and proved that Jesus was the Messiah from the Old Testament passages. All right, now let me give you the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary definition of blasphemy. Because we want to evaluate as he makes his way talking about Moses, is there any blasphemy here? Uh, it's the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence to God. Then they add this. Blasphemy in the religious sense refers to a great disrespect shown to God or to something holy or to something said, done, shows this kind of disrespect. Now, it's clear to us already from what we've seen that he is not guilty of blasphemy. We've already been told that they are lying about him, that they are slandering him. They can't resist his arguments, so they attack him personally, which is exactly what people do when they can't resist when you know what you are talking about. Now, we pick it up in Acts chapter 7, verse 17, as he now makes a transition from Abraham to Moses. And he starts off with a promise made to Abraham that God is going to bring Israel into Egypt, keep them there for 400 years, and then deliver them. That's the promise. Now, during those 400 years, he was giving the Canaanites a chance to repent before he brought them into the land of Canaan. So here's what he says in verse 17 while he's making the transition from Abraham to Moses. But when the time of the promise drew near, this is the promise that they would be in bondage for 400 years, but then God would bring them out. When the time of the promise came near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Let me read you the promise he talked about to Abraham. This is Acts 7, 6, and 7. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. He's rounding down. It was 430 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge. These are the plagues that God does in Egypt. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. Now, he starts this off by saying, the time of the promise drew near. The promise was given to Abraham and 400 years went by until it drew near. And oftentimes the promises of God are not immediately fulfilled. We pointed out last week that there are, and this is conservative, 7,000 promises in the Bible that apply to you. These are not promises that apply to Israel or to other people because there's other promises that are made that cannot be applied to us as Christians. But there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible applied to you and me. That's a lot of promises. And listen to what it says about how we receive the promises of God. Hebrews 6, 12. And we desire that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. Faith is believing in God enough to do what he says. There is a demonic faith where you believe in the existence of God, but you don't do what he says. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble, but they don't do what God says. When I was, before I got saved in the Methodist church, I believed in the existence of God, but I had no desire to do what he said. 
when I got saved at 14, suddenly I wanted to do what he said. My faith went from a demonic faith to a genuine faith. The Bible says, by faith, the children of Israel passed through the Dead Sea or the Red Sea. Moses divided the waters, held up his staff. God divided the waters and said, go in. And I wonder if there's anybody in the front going, you go in. I ain't going to go in there. But somebody by faith believed God was going to hold it up for them and entered in and everybody else followed. So they believed God enough to do it. That was faith. By faith, they entered in. By faith, they kept the Passover. They smeared the blood on the doors of their house and the death angel passed over. It didn't have anything to do with confidence. One person might have smeared the blood going, this isn't going to work, but killed the lamb and smeared the blood. And his neighbor was like, I love my son. I'm putting the blood on the doorpost. That lamb's dead. I'm going to smear the blood on the doorpost. The death angel passed over both of them. The guy that had very little confidence and the guy that had a lot of confidence, both were living by faith. This is why Jesus said faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Because if you have enough faith to be obedient to God, even if you're if you're not confident, even if you struggle with some doubts, but you still put your faith in it, you will receive the faith. And that's how we receive the promises of God. Now, I wish it said through faith and patience and, and immediately we receive the promises of God. But it says through faith and patience, which means you got to wait. And Galatians says, don't grow weary in doing good for in due season you will reap if you do not grow faint. So some people grow faint and never receive the promises of God because they don't receive them by faith and patience. So 400 years, this promise is coming in. Okay, here we go. This is a, a much longer section than we normally read, all right? This is not what we normally do. We usually use smaller sections, but because this 120 years is covered so quickly, we're gonna follow along with Stephen and see if we can get his points rather than trying to cover all of what happened to Moses. Now listen, when he gets to the word name Moses, listen how much respect he has for him. Verse 19, this man, this is the king that arose that didn't know Joseph, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Now, there's many times in the Bible where people were killing babies. Uh, babies uh, are, it's been dangerous in the world for babies and the unborn baby today. Verse 20, and this time Moses was born and he was well-pleasing to God. And I find that interesting that Moses was born as a baby and was well-pleasing to God. What can a baby do that pleases God? It had to be that God, through his foreknowledge, the Bible tells us that God knows all things that happen before they happen. God, through his foreknowledge, knew that he could use Moses as a deliverer. So he was well-pleasing to God. He chose him to be the deliverer for the people. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Now, cracks me up when you read Exodus because it says that Jochebed, his mom, when she saw that Moses was beautiful, hid him for three months. Had he been an ugly baby, I don't know what would have happened to him. <laughs> but he was beautiful, and so they hid him. It also says that when the Pharaoh's daughter drew Moses out of the boat that Jochebed had made for him, that she drew him out, and he was crying, and she saw that he was beautiful, so she raised him as her own son. Again, his good looks served him well. Had he been an ugly baby? Who knows where Moses would have been. It says then in verse 22, and Moses learned, uh, was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. Moses lived 
as a prince in Egypt for 40 years. He was raised in the schools of Egypt. God needed a deliverer who could write the law. The first five books of the Bible are, are attributed to Moses. Now, when I first started to pastor in 1985, most of the critics said that Moses could not have written the law because there was no writing around 1,200 years, 1,400 years before the time of Christ. They have since discovered that writing was around well beyond that. And we're talking about Egypt where there was hieroglyphics, pictures, and that even before the time of Moses, they were changing those hieroglyphics into alphabets to be able to be more expressive where the picture just didn't stand for something, but they had pictures for alphabets. And there's a connection between hieroglyphics and the first Hebrew letters, the oldest Hebrew writings that we have, which would fit if Moses was the one who would write it. And so Moses was able to write the law. And we have now laws, the law of Hammurabi, which was a, a king in Babylon, was written hundreds of years before the time of Moses and is as detailed as the law is in the Bible. So Moses certainly could have written it. Now, there are parts of the, the Pentateuch that we know someone else wrote, that we know that somebody, when they got there, they added to it. Because it says, for example, Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. Moses probably didn't write that. Because if you're the most humble man who ever lived, you're not like, Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. <laughs> There's other little references uh, that will say something like, this marker is here until this day. And so there was a, a scribe that wrote it, put in parentheses and made a statement. People will often point to those statements to say it couldn't have been Moses. But but the way that they would do it in their day was to add commentary periodically so we can identify it. We know it. We can see it. So um, he's mighty. He's brought up in the things of the Egyptians and he's mighty in words. And he's an author. You've got to be uh, to be a good author. You've got to be mighty in words and in deeds. And he's going to be mighty in deeds also as he deals with the children of Israel and their rebellion, which, which Stephen will bring up. Stephen's going to do something kind of tricky here. I'm going to let you in on what he's doing here. He's going to talk about how the fathers don't keep the law. And at the very end, he's going to say, you're just like your fathers. You rejected the Messiah. He's going to turn it on them that the rejection of their fathers, he has respect for the law, but they didn't keep the law. We're going to get to that. All right. So um, Luke 20, uh, let's see, wisdom in Egypt. So we're in 23. We're in uh, Acts 7, 23. Now, when, the 40, when he was 40 years old, so now we just jumped. We went, we, we went from a baby to 40 in that short time. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended and avenged him who oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. We're told in Exodus, he hit him in the sand. We're told more here about it. He defended the Hebrew, his Hebrew brother, because he's Hebrew. He defended his Hebrew brother and he'd been trained in fighting. He was, a, he was a soldier, he was a warrior. He would have been trained in all of that. And so he defended the Hebrew and then he avenged him and killed him. He believes God's called him as a deliverer. It's in his heart to deliver Israel from the slavery. And he believes that he's been brought up in Egypt as the king's son. And so he's the deliverer. 
And so he kills this guy and hides him in a sand. We could say this is him in his flesh trying to deliver them. It is his first attempt to deliver him and he will be rejected on the first attempt. 40 years later, he will be accepted. Jesus was rejected on his first coming, but he will be accepted by Jewish people at his second. When he returns in the second coming, the Bible says that blindness in part has happened to Israel, but they will all be saved. God's going to bring the nation of Israel to himself and they'll receive Jesus as the Messiah, rejected the first time like Moses, but accepted the second time. So then it says in verse uh, 25, well, verse uh, 24, um, he, uh, this is, uh, he visits his brethren, so he kills him. Verse 25, he supposed his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hands, but he did not understand. And the next day, or they did not understand, the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, two Hebrews. And he tried to reconcile them, saying, men and brethren, do you wrong one another? But he who did the neighbor wrong pushed him, saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Then at that saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian. Now we learn in, in Exodus that he was afraid when it was found out that he had killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand and he fled and went to Midian. When he got to Midian, and this cracks me up about Moses, he can't help but be a deliverer. He tries to deliver this Hebrew from this Egyptian. When he gets to Midian, he's running from being a deliverer now. And he gets to Midian and there are some women trying to water their sheep. And these guys come in with goats and push the women out. And Moses delivers them. It's just he can't help it. He's like, he sees somebody being oppressed and he's like, let me take care of this. Because again, he's a soldier and he's able to deliver these women. He ends up marrying a Gentile's daughter. So he ends up marrying a Gentile and... Um, Verse, and we're not told all that. It says where he has two sons. So I guess we assume he got married, right? He moved to Midian where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, now we're 80 years into it. Huh? Look how fast he's going. This is the reason you don't stop and try to cover everything in this account because he's moving quickly to make his points. And right now he's still, he's still talking good things about Moses. When he was um, 40 years old, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. Moses saw it. He marveled at the sight and he drew near to observe. And the voice of the Lord came from him saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham or your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, this is the passage Jesus quotes when the Sanhedrin, excuse me, when the Sadducees try to say to him, there is no resurrection Jesus says, you err that you don't know the scriptures in the burning bush passage. God said to Abraham, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob and the God or the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In other words, Abraham was living somewhere in the intermediate state. So was Isaac and so was Jacob. He says, for God is the God of the living and not the dead. They, in, they don't, the, the Sadducees only studied the first five books of the Pentateuch. You could prove the resurrection from the rest of the Old Testament, but there's no place the resurrection is talked about in the first five books, except here. Jesus brought this up and showed them that. So he speaks to him. He says, I'm the God. So who's talking to him from, the, from the, the bush? God, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Who's speaking to him? The angel of the Lord. Now you see this conflated thing that you often find in the Old Testament, the, what I call the complexity of God, where the angel of the Lord gets conflated and compared and sometimes independent of God. So you have these two powers in the Old Testament that, that Jewish scholars today talk about. There are philosophies in Judaism that believe God has, at least, has as many as 10 or 100 personalities. Now we see three. We see it in Genesis chapter one, where it says, let us make man in our own image. Think about that term. Let us make man in our own image. Whoever the us and the are is, are, they have to create. Let us make man in our own image. They have to be the image of God and they have to be able to be create. So then it says, so he created them. It goes to singular. So he created them in his image, male and female, he made in his image. Right there in Genesis chapter one, you have the complexity of God and that God is more than just one person. That there, and, and we see even in the Old Testament three in one. So that's revealed here in this passage. And that wasn't in my notes, by the way. That was just an addition, which I probably can't afford to give. Verse 31, when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight and he drew near to observe it. And the voice of the Lord God came to him saying, I am the God of Abraham. Uh, I went back, fathers of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals off your feet for the place you stand is holy ground. It was holy because God is there. There isn't places you're going to walk around on the earth and all of a sudden be like, ooh, I feel this is holy. It's some vortex that's holy. This is holy because God's there. And wherever God is, God makes people. God makes ground. God makes things holy. So take off your shoes because this is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come, uh, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses who was rejected saying, who made you ruler and judge is the one God sent to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush. He's already making the connection with Jesus. This Moses who was rejected is the one God sent. This Jesus who was rejected by you is the one God sent. He's going to say to the council, your father's always rejected and so do you. He's gonna, he's gonna turn and indict them to be like their fathers. It says then, who brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. Notice how fast he's going. He just covered the 10 plagues in one sentence. Who brought them out after showing um, wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and by the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Now, we, now we're 120 years since we started. We started with Moses being born and now we're at the end of it when God had them wandered for 40 years, 120 years later. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now you might not know this, but Moses was a prophet and he was considered to be the greatest in, to Jews today even, He's considered to be the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And he made a prophecy. God is going to raise up one like me who is your brethren 
and you are going to listen to him. They clearly, people of Israel today, clearly see this as a messianic passage. Here it is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me in your midst from your brethren. So he has to be like Moses and Jewish. Him you will hear. And it goes on in Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among my brethren and I will put my words in his mouth or I put, yeah, in his mouth and he shall speak them all that I command him. Jesus said, I only speak the things that my father commanded me. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So what he does here is show them God gave Moses a prophecy of the coming Messiah and he's going to claim that they rejected this Messiah. Now, Moses says he's going to be like me. Jesus and Moses have a lot similar. In fact, when you start talking about it, it is astounding. First of all, they are both deliverers. Moses delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Jesus delivers us from slavery in sin. So they're both deliverers. But listen to the rest of this. I'm just going to run down a list here. Uh, first off, he, they are both definitely among the brethren. They are both Jewish. Secondly, they were both shepherds. Jesus, a shepherd of people. Moses, a shepherd of, of people as well. Both were sent bringing salvation after a 400-year apparent inactivity by God. Moses, 400 years they were in slavery. Jesus, in between the intermediate section of the Old and New Testament, that was 400 years. Uh, both fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Moses on top of Mount Sinai, Jesus in the wilderness before he was, was, was tempted by the devil. Both spent time in Egypt as children. Both were born in a time of evil kings when evil kings pronounced death over Jewish boys. Both were called by God to lead and save. Both did miracles and testified of God-given authority. Think of all the miracles Moses did and think of all the miracles Jesus did. Both instituted a covenant of blood and brought salvation to many. Moses was the covenant of Passover. That blood, that, that very meal is where we get the covenant of the, the new covenant and communion, the Lord's table. Both were God's public stamp of approval with an audible voice from heaven. Moses on Mount Sinai when he received the law and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Both gave up riches to lead a humble life and to serve in poverty. Jesus said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He came from heaven. He became a little lower than the angels and he was obedient, humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And Moses came to a point where he would not live in luxury with the people of Egypt, but instead left and lived in poverty among the people of Israel. In, uh, also, both were criticized by their own families. Both were willing to sacrifice their own lives for the sake of those they were leading. Both miraculously provided the people with bread to eat. Jesus feeding the 5,000, Moses giving them manna. Both of their faces shone with glory from heaven. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses after interacting with God. And finally, I'm stopping here. There's more, but I thought this is enough. 
Uh, finally, Moses chose 12 spies to go into Canaan and Jesus chose 12 disciples. Jesus is like Moses. And I wonder if Stephen didn't bring these things up as he talks about one like Moses is going to be chosen who is going to deliver and whether or not he didn't bring them up to the congregation or the synagogue of the freed men. Then we go to verse 38. Looking at my time here. Uh, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angels who spoke to him out of Mount Sinai. So he wants to point out that he heard the angel of the Lord speak from the bush. What did the angel of the Lord say from the burning bush? In Exodus 3, 13 and 14, here's what he said. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The word I am is the tetragrammaton. It means to, be, to exist in the Septuagint, which is the Greek copy of the Old Testament. In this passages, it uses the, word ego, the words ego ami in the Greek, I am in the Greek. Now, Jesus in John 8, 58 said, before Abraham was, I am ego ami. Now think of that statement. How long before Jesus did Abraham live? Before Abraham was, ego ami, I am. It's a declaration of Jesus to be God that spoke from the burning bush. Also, when Jesus was arrested, they came to arrest him. And this is in John 18, four through six. And Jesus steps up and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Now, as you look at the statement, it says, I am he, but the he is in italics in your Bible because it's not there. That's added by the translators to help you understand it better. Here they make a mistake because it helps you not understand it as well. He says, ego ami, I am, that's what's in the Greek. And they all fall down on the ground at the power of the declaration of Jesus being the great I am. Then we pick up in the middle of verse 38. And with our fathers the one who received the living oracles to give to us. So Moses is given the living oracles on Mount Sinai to give to the people. This is not just the Ten Commandments he came down with, but it's the entire law. 466 commandments whom our fathers would not obey. Now here he goes. When he starts to talk about the law, they won't even obey it. They wouldn't even start to obey it. They didn't even want to know what was in it. Our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. And as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. He's on the mountain for 40 days. They don't know what's happened to him. So they get Aaron to make him a golden calf. They give him all their gold. Aaron fashions the golden calf. They take off their clothes and they have a, a, a kind of a drunken dance orgy around this golden calf. When Moses comes down, he's upset, smashes the stones, asks Aaron, what did you do? And Aaron says, you can look it up yourself. Aaron says, well, the people gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire and a cow came out. <laughs> That's what he says. I didn't do it. And, and what else, you know, something like, what else could we do but take off our clothes and dance naked around it? There's nothing else to do. 
It said, now notice again, he's pointing out how the fathers would not even receive the law. They didn't even wait for the law to be given before they were worshiping something else. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Before it even got off the mountain, they broke it. It says in verse 41, and they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their hands. Then God turned and gave them up to the worship of the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during your 40 years in the wilderness? During the whole 40 years, they worshiped other gods. O house of Israel, you also took up the tabernacle of Molech. Molech is one of the Baals. So Baal Molech and the star of the God Rephian images which you made to worship and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So he points out they didn't receive the law, they didn't keep the law and they were taken into captivity for it. He could have given points about the law, how he's not disrespectful about the law, but what he's showing them is I wasn't saying anything about the law that was bad. I was showing that your fathers or our fathers rejected the law and they claim that's blasphemy of the law. He wasn't blaspheming the law at all. He was showing them that the fathers did not accept it. Now I want to give you three things in closing as we close this up. And I'm glad we got through that section because I have a tendency just to go on and on about certain things in places. Three things. Number one, through faith and patience, we receive the promises of God. So if you're at a point where you're ready to give up and you feel like the promises of God haven't been revealed, be patient. Be, be faithful. Do the things God says. Keep a right relationship with God and the promises of God will come to pass. Number two, Jesus fulfills the prophet like Moses. And what was the rest of it? There will be a prophet like Moses from among your brethren, which means you would be Jewish. I will give him my words and you will listen to him. So the command is that when this prophet comes like Moses from who is Jewish, that, it gives, that we're to listen to him. So we listen to the words of Jesus. Number three, Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the one who spoke from the burning bush. So was the father. When you read the account of the angel of the Lord before Gideon and before Moses, you see that there's this conflation. You don't know who's speaking. The angel of the Lord speaking and then, then God speaking. And, and there's just this, you just get confused as you read it. And it's, it's on purpose because God's showing that there's, there's more than one power in the Godhead. Before COVID, right before COVID, we started a series called The Complexity of God. We were going to go through the Old Testament and cover all the verses that showed that there was these different powers in heaven. Sometimes three, sometimes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit mentioned by name, mentioned as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And then COVID hit and we bailed out of it. And I would like to return to it at some point. But it is very important for us to understand that even Jewish scholars today recognize that the concept of the Trinity is not foreign to what is taught in the Old Testament. That's very powerful. And I'll give you guys some sightings for that from, um, from scholars today, from Jewish scholars today in a future study. But he is the great I am. Now here's the thing. 
this is the best application to this that I can think of. They rejected what God said. And they're going to reject God here and they're going to kill Stephen because they've rejected Jesus. We're going to get that next week. We'll see the first martyr. We'll consider the martyrs that have been killed and we'll consider martyrs who are being killed today for their faith in Jesus Christ. But we want to be those who are obedient to the things Jesus said. We don't want to reject him. We don't want to reject his words. We want to know what he said and we want to live the things that he said. The things that Jesus told us to live is not too hard. Listen to what Jesus said when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments of the law? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added this. And if you will do these two things, you have fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Sometimes people say, so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to be a Christian. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I can see sometimes it's hard to love neighbors. I, I see that. God is altogether lovely and lovable, and we can have some struggle with that. But when we realize how much we've been forgiven, then it's easy for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what God's requiring of us. We don't have to follow the 466 laws of the Old Testament. Praise God. We need to love God and love one another, and we will fulfill the law and the prophets and all God has for us. That's what God wants from us. And we will, we will live pleasing lives to him. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we take time and see Stephen go through Moses and their rejection of the law and, and to see how he was respectful completely to Moses. And Lord, we want to hear what you say and we want to live the things you say so that we can be those that receive the promises that you've given and be used by you. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.